I'm Crystal Keating, and this is the Johnny and Friends Ministry Podcast. Each week, we're bringing you real conversations about disability and finding hope through hardship and sharing practical ways that you can welcome and include people impacted by disability in your community. Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss any of our encouraging conversations. You can also find all of the helpful resources that we've talked about at johnnyandfriends.org slash podcast. Today, I'm speaking with 39-year-old Kimberly West, a woman from Southern California who was diagnosed with severe ulcerative colitis, inflammatory joint disease, chronic anemia, and has survived through seizures and temporary loss of vision. What she thought was something that could be easily controlled by medication has led to nearly 20 surgeries and the fight of her life. Listen as she shares about her life-altering hidden disability and how she finds joy and suffering through God's sustaining power and provision. Kimberly, more than eight years ago, you were a healthy, vibrant, active woman. You had a home, you had a job. But in 2012, unexpectedly, your life was radically altered by chronic illness and bouts of pain. Can you take us back to what life was like before you got sick? And can you share with us how your whole world changed? So I was a very independent, on-the-go type of person. I worked a um, fast-paced job where I was there probably 12 hours a day on a five to six day average work week. So that consumed most of my life. And then I would be at church on Sundays and I also tried to do community group. And basically I just filled my week with something every hour of every day that I could. I just kept my days full. There was no real downtime. Mm. When this illness came about, it was a very gradual process. So I didn't even really pay attention to the signs. I didn't pay attention to my body and what it was telling me because I just continued to be on the go. And my priorities obviously were not in order. My parents kept telling me, uh, your skin does not look right. Your eyes do not look right. You need to see a doctor. But the way that my world worked at the time, I didn't want to take that time for myself to go to a doctor or to stop my life and do that. Eventually, my parents took me to an emergency room, and I collapsed on the emergency room floor. And um, my hemoglobin is the blood levels in the body, for those that don't know what that was, was so low that I had to have two blood transfusions that day there and, and there. And I was immediately put under a realm of tests once my body was stable. They diagnosed me with severe ulcerative colitis and chronic anemia, which is not that unusual in this day and age. It's a pretty common thing. We weren't that worried from what the doctors were telling us. I just had let it go to a point that was uncontrollable at the time. So they had to rein me in pretty quickly and get me on medications. Unfortunately my life just changed radically in a matter of, I would say, weeks. The level of sickness that I was at, we didn't realize. And when the medications began, my life just, I left. I mean, it left. My job was taken away. I was no longer able to live on my own. 
So I lost my home. I could no longer drive. Um, so I lost my vehicle. I, I basically lost my independence when I got sick. The side effects from the medication were far more than the illness itself for me. I ended up being allergic to pretty much everything that they gave me. I was in and out of the hospital for pancreatitis. I was suffering from severe seizures. I lost the inability to, at some times, even walk. My muscles would flare up so bad that my joints would not bend. And I could remember one specific time sitting in the hallway of my parents' home and just crying and begging God because I couldn't get to the bathroom on my own. And my younger sister was there that day, and my mom had to physically lift me into the toilet. And it was such a vulnerable, humbling moment for me. And I was in, you know, barely 30 years old, and I didn't know what was going to happen. I was scared. I was lonely. My entire existence of who I was, this, you know, energetic, on-the-go, independent woman to being lifted onto a toilet within a matter, you know, like I said, weeks. At this time, it was probably months, but just in the glimpse of an eye, my life was completely different. Thankfully, I had recently rededicated my life to God, so I was in a really good spot with God at that point, but I was still confused as to why it was happening, especially because I had just rededicated my life to Him. Right. Um, I thought I was doing everything right, so why would this happen to me? So that was, that was definitely confusing for me. Your life was completely stripped. You had turned to the Lord, and I think there's this understanding, Lord, when I give you my whole heart, there's incredible blessing in that. And obviously— You did not expect that everything that you held dear would be taken away from you. Exactly. It was definitely life-changing and life-altering. I was very blessed in the fact that I had amazing parents who did take me back in and who gave me a roof over my head. I was very blessed in the fact that I was able to have somebody like my mom to drive me to and from appointments and get me the places I need to go. I lost my vision on and off temporarily from one of the medications, so I couldn't see. That's one of the reasons why we had to sell my car, because I wasn't able to drive anymore, that and the seizures. You know, you can't drive with seizures, obviously. At one point, I think I was on 30 different, or taking 30 different pills during the course of one day. Plus then being on the biological drugs, which were injections for the ulcerative colitis itself. So I had lost my hair. I had rashes from my head to my toes. The quality of life that I had was just gone. It was that point where I found a doctor who said, you need to go down to, you know, Cedar sinai and that's where I met my surgeon. He said, you should never even bid on medication that, you know, 85% of my large intestine colon was completely rotted, and I should have had surgery to get it removed, you know, immediately when they found it. So I had surgery immediately, and I had my large intestine, my colon, appendix, rectum, Rectal cuff, all of that removed, gone. Um, Oh, my goodness. So I had 
a temporary ostomy bag put in. Being a young girl with an ostomy bag is not an ideal situation either. For myself and those who are listening, can you explain that? My small intestine is what's left. And what they basically do is they make an incision and they pull the small intestine out of your stomach. So I have a portion of my small intestine, which is called a stoma, sticking out of my actual stomach. And then I have a bag that attaches to my stomach. And that's how I go to the restroom um, for now. And so that is a difficulty in itself because, you know, for people it can be an eyesore or it can be a, a taboo type thing. But then, you know, things like showering, things like wearing something as simple as jeans that have a button that rests on that, you know, area or People don't understand that you don't have control over your intestines, so it can make noises, and you don't realize that the gas has filled it up, and all of a sudden, now you have a balloon under your shirt. Mm. There are just so many little things that people would never think about that could happen. You have leaks. You have explosions. You have Mm. waking up in your own, you know, feces, uh, Mm because you slept too long and you didn't empty your bag and it's exploded all over your sheets and your clothing. And um, it's it's been a very humbling experience to say the least. Yeah. And I can see how, you know, for someone with a chronic illness that's dealing with those kinds of medical aids, it might prevent you from being motivated to leave the house I would think it would change even maybe the way that you would see yourself. What's been your experience with like self-image? And I mean, I hate to even bring that up, but you know, for, no, um, especially for young women who are thinking about their life, maybe as a wife or a mother, how is that impacting how you're viewing the future? Vanity was a huge issue for me, um, especially in the beginning. I was one of those girls who loved getting my hair done and my nails done and, you know, having a tan and, you know, all those things. But I soon realized that my health was far more important and outweighed those type of things and that my identity was not in superficial things such as that, but my identity was in Christ. Mm. And the fact that I was able to have life breathed into me from him and a smile on my face and to get to enjoy my family members around me, it didn't matter what I looked like. And I soon realized that the people that loved and cared about me didn't care about those things either. Being self-conscious about things, I think, is a normal thing. And I think regardless of your circumstances or your body type, everybody has those insecurities and everybody has those that come out in a different way. So when I had my ostomy bag, when I didn't have my ostomy bag, I still had insecurities. They just now are a little bit elevated, but for different reasons. So I just had to learn that God made me in a unique way, just Mm -hmm. like he made you in a unique way. And he knew this plan for me before he even made me and it was for his purpose and I'm here for a reason and that I have to look at it as it's a blessing that he chose me to live out this purpose and for whatever reason that is I should be thankful and I should be excited for the fact that he chose me for this and not look at it as a downfall but rather look at it as you know a miracle one I should be proud that I have this bag because I'm alive 
and that Mm. science even has this creation that kept me alive because of it, but two, not to be ashamed of it because it literally saved my life and God is using me because of this to help others. Yeah, well, that's a powerful perspective, especially when so much of the world is telling us, this is who you should be. This is what you should look like. This is what beauty really is. Man looks at the outside, but God looks at what's inside. What are your thoughts? What's your trust in the Lord? How are we serving others? How is how He's created each one of us with our various abilities and challenges? How is He using us? in the kingdom of God. And I, I just love how you focus on your thankfulness for the life-saving measures that are now a part of your body. And, you know, I just think about when I first became a believer, some of the most powerful things that the Lord did was change my identity. He changes all believers' identity, right? That we're forgiven, we're His, we have a new purpose, And I can see that in you, that your purpose completely shifted. It brings to mind those verses about, um, like in 1 Corinthians 6, that says, you are not your own. Don't you know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who's in you? You're not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. And I just think about that, like even though your body looks different than you would have ever imagined, you're honoring God with that. And I love that. You know, I, I want to go back to talking about your experience with medical care. I know we've heard from so many with hidden disabilities like chronic illness or chronic pain that obtaining good health care is often challenging. You went from doctor to doctor, you are on 30 medications, and it sounds like the, the initial doctors could have made um, some major decisions that weren't made until a year later. Is that, is that right? Yeah, it was really challenging for me because I had so many different things going on. So it started with ulcerative colitis and I had the initial surgery. Um, but what I didn't get into was that, um, after having that, I was going to have a three-step procedure in order to get a J pouch, which is an internal pouch that's made from your small intestine where eventually I get the ostomy bag removed. And then it's, all internal. So then you no longer see the ostomy bag on the outside. Everything's made from my small intestine inside, and then they connect you. So I did have that, but unfortunately it failed. I had five prolapses, and so they fixed me every time. Okay, what's my a prolapse? Surgeon, yeah. Um, <laughs> so a prolapse is when my small intestine actually falls out of place And every time I would use the restroom, it literally would come out the backside of me. So my small intestine was coming out of me. Um, So my surgeon was very um, resourceful in finding ways to fix this. And he was very hopeful in the fact that I was young and I bounced back from surgery pretty easily. So he continued to try to fix this. He took my case in front of 400 colorectal surgeons from around the nation. He flew to Singapore and brought back special pins. I was the first American. We had to get special permission from my hospital. And he drilled through my sacrum and pinned my small intestine through my sacrum, but it still didn't hold. It fell again. And during this process, then the female front side of me also started to prolapse. So I 
had my bladder prolapse, I ended up having to have a hysterectomy, a whole female front side lift. I had three bladder prolapses during that time. So I've had numerous organs removed now. Pretty much anything that could fall has been removed. Mm -hmm. Um, So there was so many complex issues going on as far as finding doctors. I ended up now having a permanent ostomy bag, so I will have that for the rest of my life. I have very little of my small intestine left. They can't take much more off if something were to happen because you have to have small intestine to live. So we've decided that I will most likely just live with the ostomy bag. When I began, I did like my doctor, and I feel that he did his best to help me. Most people don't have the reactions to medications that I do, but I don't think that he was well-versed enough to know where or what to do with me. Mm. Therefore, it left me kind of in a situation where I was on my own. And not knowing what to do, it was like a fin for yourself or like a free-for-all. So I was trying to figure out my seizures. I was trying to figure out why I had rashes. I was trying to figure out this. And I wasn't having seizures because of epilepsy. I wasn't having grand mal seizures. I wasn't, you know, so no neurologist would diagnose me with something Mm. because my EEGs weren't coming up like a normal person with seizures. So I was just being, you know, flipped around like a ping pong ball to and from different people and nobody really knew what to do with me. Mm. And then as far as the flare up with my joints and not being able to move, I would go to rheumatologists and they would say, oh, you have inflammatory joint disease. Then it would be, no, you have fibromyalgia because one day I would show markers on my x-rays, but then the next day I wouldn't because that's how the disease works. Some days you have flare-ups and some days you don't. So it was just back and forth and it's exhausting. It is literally a full-time job to be sick. It really is. I finally found a doctor who just took her time with me, who listened to everything that I said, who wanted to help me any way that she could possibly help me, who fought for me. And she's the one doctor that I kept who is not part of my team at Cedars-Sinai. She has just been with me through absolutely everything. I've had her now for eight years and she's an internal medicine doctor. Mm And she kind of just manages and oversees everything, but she's always there for me if I need her for something. So It is so wonderful to have a doctor who really knows and understands you, especially all these years, and is able to kind of look at all of the symptoms that are going on rather than isolating just one particular area. I think that's really a gift from God. You know, Kim, in all of this, I'm thinking, how did you manage medical bills? Did your insurance cover it? What was that like for you? It sounds like you were your own advocate on the physical side. What about the financial side? So that was difficult as well. I did uh, have a little bit of savings in the beginning, and then, of course, I sold the car. My job was not a job where I could apply for disability because of the way that I was originally paid. I had to file for what was SSI disability, and I got denied. And so we reapplied, and I got denied again. Yes. So what people don't understand is it is not an easy thing. If you are not married with children or you do not have cancer or HIV or, you know, very specific certain illnesses 
or over the age of 65, it is a very, very difficult thing to get. I had to hire an SSI attorney, and with doing so, if I were to be approved, they get a large portion of your pay. (laughs) So it was where I felt led to go, but it was difficult. It was a journey. It took three years for me to get approved for SSI disability. I did eventually get approved, but I had to jump through hoops and I had to see their doctors. I had to go through interviews. They had to get records. My disability attorney told me that she has never in her life seen somebody with so many medical records. There was probably over 10,000 pages of records for me. My saving grace was that the judge who originally had my case took a leave of absence and the judge who came on had intestinal issues. Oh, so he could relate. Yes. So that's why I got approved. But it is is the most nerve-wracking thing. And I would then also say for those three years that I didn't have the help God is just so completely faithful, and my parents didn't once have to chip in on my medical expenses that God provided every single time. I don't think that a lot of people realize that all hospitals have financial services, and that was a big wake-up call and a big help for us that you can apply, and it doesn't necessarily mean that you will get approved 100%. It could be 10%. It could be 30%. But it's definitely worth applying for. God blessed me in so many ways during this process, and I was approved 100% from my hospital. Wow. Um, So as far as the hospital end of things, I have been approved 100% and continue to be approved 100% through this entire process. Thank you, So my surgeons are not included in in that because they're private surgeons. Mm but the hospital stays and that kind of thing have been covered. I appreciate you bringing that up. I was not aware of that. You know, one of the things that you shared with me was your ongoing struggle with anxiety. And for those of us who've dealt with anxiety and overwhelming fear, myself included, even to the point where it seems like the body overrides the mind— What's that been like for you? What's been your experience with anxiety physically, emotionally, and spiritually? This is something that was new for me because I had never dealt with it prior to being sick. Mm. And I think for me, it started out kind of subconsciously. It kind of snuck up on me. And it was more of a physical thing in the beginning. There were times where I would go to walk my dog and go outside and my hands would just get really clammy and I would start sweating and just be on the verge of tears, and I would have to turn back and run inside. It was almost as if I was having a panic attack, but I never had had them, so I didn't know why that was happening. And then when I would get into large crowds, it was kind of the same reaction, and I just started to really recognize that I was not okay being out in public. And then as time went on and I continued to have more surgeries, I noticed other things as far as if I smelt alcohol swabs, um, Mm -hmm. I'd instantly be taken into a hospital room or the sensation of it's, you know, time for prep before surgery. And then the topper for me was, unfortunately, my sweet puppy of 13 years who has been through every surgery up until this last one for me passed away. And my anxiety went through the absolute roof. 
it began to where I couldn't control these, um, the doctor called them anxiety tremors because my head was feeling like it was shaking nonstop and I would go to do something and I couldn't get my head to focus basically. But when this happened, I knew I needed something. If something is distracting you and taking you and your time away from God and you aren't able to focus on him Mm -hmm. because of a physical thing, Mm -hmm. then you need help from the outside. Mm -hmm. And I think it's totally okay to admit that and totally okay to ask for help. I look at it as the same way as, you know, medical help as, you know, like, my ostomy bag or something, if I can't physically or mentally control it, then I need to ask for help from the outside. Mm. So I don't think that it's anything to be ashamed of. I don't think it's anything to feel guilty about that I couldn't pray away my anxiety or pray away, you know, how to control this with my body. I think doing it with God and with the medicine, the combination of the two, was the answer for me personally. And I did go and see a psychiatrist in order to get the proper medication, and it was literally life-altering for me. Wow. I have been on it now for about five months, and I would say that my anxiety has gone from a 10 to maybe a 3. Oh, my I mean, goodness. It's just That's been, a significant change. It's been incredible for me. Well, it almost like gives you your, your life back. I've heard anxiety medication described as sort of the floor. You know, if someone's free falling and they feel like they really don't have a leg to stand on, anxiety medication can be the floor upon which they stand and start to rebuild their life. There is a stigma and there's many questions, especially in the Christian communities, about medication like these. But from what it sounds like, you long to walk with the Lord and enjoy his fellowship, but the anxiety really overtook and overrode any of that spiritual desire for you. So what's helped you manage these overwhelming emotions in the midst of very unpredictable seasons of life? You know, outside of medication, what are some of the other practices that you know have really stabilized you in the ever-changing world of a chronic illness? For sure, reading the Word. When I'm in the Word, it is just such a spiritual gift for me. I I soak in so deep that it just affects me on a different level, and I think that we can get so distracted where we don't read the Word every day, and it's so easy when you don't read the Word to go one day, then two days, then a week, and when you're in it, you just want so much more of it and it just makes you so joyful and so happy. And it really does give you the things that you're so wanting and so needing in that moment. And I think for me, when I'm at my weakest moments, it really does give me the strength that I'm looking for. When I'm really alone, I tend to cling to worship music. Mm -hmm. I'm allergic to pain medication. So after my surgeries, I have only really use Tylenol and then different things for nausea. So worship music has really been my outlet. God has given me that gift to be able to kind of get lost in his voice. I feel him and his presence, like he's so tangible in those moments for me. And it's a form of intimacy with him that I've been able to bond with 
it's so unique for me because I never had this kind of an intimacy with him before, but, you know, I'll be in my room and shut and lock the door and, you know, turn the lights off and just have these worship sessions where I'll physically just be crying my eyes out and, you know, dancing in my room with my hands up in the air. And I, you know, somebody from the outside would probably say, what is this crazy girl doing? But like, to me, like, you know, I just feel his presence so much and it's just such a moment for me. And I'm able to take that into the hospital with me and find myself in those same kind of moments, but in a different way, laying in the hospital bed to where I don't feel the pain because he's there with me and he's giving me that same kind of comfort and that same kind of presence. I mean, just soaking up God as much as possible just makes life so much better. Yeah, he is your rock. He is your comfort. He's your tower. Wow. Well, you've experienced so many losses due to your health. Kim, have you ever wrestled with anger about your situation? I mean, yeah. <laughs> I would say early on, for sure. Maybe I would use frustration and disappointment more than the word anger. But yes, definitely. I think um, the hardest thing is just the setback in life that it was for me. I would say both my sisters have the life that I thought that I would probably have had. My, you know, older sister married her high school sweetheart and has three beautiful children. And my younger sister's married with two beautiful children. And I always thought that I would be the one to be married with kids and the picket fence and all of those things. So it, it is definitely difficult sometimes to not have those things, but at the same time, I have that joy because I have my nieces and nephews and seeing that my sisters are so well-loved and taken care of is such a gift for me also. But that was definitely a very hard thing. I think in the moment I was okay with everything that had to go on because of my health situation and what was at hand. But later I definitely mourned over the fact that I wasn't going to be able to have children Mm. and it came out in different ways. So I think that's where a lot of frustration and discouragement came from. And then other ways that it's probably come out is wanting to do certain things and preparing for them and then having another health complication interrupt them and being let down for that situation. And it's now happened so many times that I kind of just roll with it and I understand like God's timing is perfect timing. So I don't Mm. um, let it really affect me in the same way anymore. I know it happened for a reason or that situation didn't occur for a reason. So I understand it better now, but I think in the beginning it was really difficult for me to get why these things were continuing to happen. Yeah, I think that's something we've heard, you know, from people who write who say, I feel like I can't commit to anything because I'm not sure how I'm going to feel that day, or I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to follow through. And I think that's a scary thing for people who, in their heart of hearts, they want to be involved. They want to be able to plan for the future. They want to be able to look forward to things. And I can see that disappointment and that hopelessness creep in, and yet you have found a powerful contentment in embracing God's timing. That's got to be a work (laughs) of the Spirit for sure. Well, patience has become my word. So you know how they say, like, pick a word each year. Well, that's been my word for eight years. (laughs) Well, you definitely have the front row seat 
at waiting on the Lord and seeing His hand move. You know, one of the things you shared with me is that over time, your attention has shifted away from focusing on your health, on the ongoing battles with ulcerative colitis, spine issues, and multiple surgeries, to really spending that time focusing more on how God has blessed you through the process. How did this happen? How did this change take place for you? For me, my priorities were so wrong. Mm. I would just say flat out wrong. I focused on myself. I focused on my job. I focused on what I was supposed to be doing, going to church, going to Bible study, doing this, what I thought looked right. I didn't have the time that I needed to spend with the Lord. I didn't have the time that I needed to make my relationship right with the Lord. And in a way, getting sick has been probably the biggest blessing of my life because it's given me nothing but time. And I've been able to just spend that time with him and creating this intimate relationship with the Lord. I knew all about him. I've been a Christian, you know, my whole life brought up in the church, but I didn't understand about this relationship that you could have on a personal level with him and the ability to talk to him and be able to experience like his presence and all of the amazing love and comfort and everything that he bestows upon us. And by getting this time with him, it has completely enriched my life in ways that I could never imagine. And I know if I hadn't gotten sick, I wouldn't have taken the time to experience this. So people think I'm nuts, but getting sick has been the greatest experience of my life because I know God and You know, I used to sit there and say to God, you know, why me? Why did this happen to me? As many people do. But now I have, you know, changed that why me to like this overwhelming sense of like, why did God pick me out of all the people on earth? Like the God who created man and the moon and the stars chose me. Like what's special about me? Why did he choose this for my life to live out his purpose? I feel like incredibly not worthy, but at the same time, incredibly special that he chose me to put on his armor and go out there and fight, you know, for him and to spread his word and to share this with people. Because if my suffering helps one person get to know him, then it's all worth it. Thank you for listening today. Be sure to join me again next week as Kimberly returns to talk about the practical ways that God is using her to minister to those around her, whether she's bed-bound, house-bound, or hospital-bound. She'll also share insight on how we can deepen our compassion for those dealing with invisible disabilities. If you're facing a chronic condition and need prayer or encouragement, please send me a message at podcast at johnnyandfriends.org. You can also find all of the resources that we've mentioned on the show at johnnyandfriends.org slash podcast. I'm Crystal Keating, and thank you for listening to the Johnny and Friends Ministry Podcast.